I'm Susan Branscombe, and this is Leading She. You're willing to work hard. You can run circles around people that are smarter than you and more talented than you. You just simply, it's a decision. It's just a choice. I will just work harder. Mary Zala has long held a global leadership position with a large international brand design firm, Landor, having been the company's first female CEO and president. Restoring her energy after a long work week, she does by visiting her childhood Kentucky farm on the weekends. Several years ago, Mary made the decision to be happier by stepping down from the top position at her company in favor of returning to her favorite work and spending more time with her family. She made the decision to make room in her life for a fourth child. Mary Zala offers excellent advice in this podcast. Enjoy listening. Today I have with me Mary Zala, who is Global President, Consumer Brands, and Managing Director of Landor's Cincinnati office. Landor is a large marketing company specializing in brand design and consulting, and Mary brings over 25 years of practice and study on creativity, brand strategy, innovation, design, and organizational leadership. Mary has held a number of important positions at Landor, including Chief Executive Officer and President. She was the first female CEO of Landor. So welcome. Thank you, Susan. Great to have you here. Yeah, great to have you here. Mary has led brand development efforts across virtually every consumer goods category, pharmaceuticals, spirits, and travel and leisure. Her work has involved the conceptual development of new brands, brand architecture, analysis, and design, strategic brand positioning, and brand identity development. Some of your customers include Ethicon, Kraft, Lilly, P&G, Procter & Gamble. She has authored many articles and has been quoted in the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Ad Week. And I'm just really glad to have you here. Um, Thank you. Yeah. Uh, Well, tell me about Landor and tell me, give me some highlights of your career. Sure. Um, As you said, Landor is a brand consulting and design firm. We were started by Walter Landor in 1941. Uh, The original office was in San Francisco, California, on the Klamath ferry boat in the San Francisco Bay. Uh, Walter, always the entrepreneur, uh, did that as a way to not only um, attract some fame, right, and, and differentiation, but also to avoid high San Francisco property taxes. So I'm actually surprised nobody's done that since, especially in San Francisco <laughs> now, uh, you know, given uh, the, the the tax state there and everything yeah. else. But yes. Um, and then I started in Landor in 1998. In the Cincinnati office, um, as what we then called a branding director, I was a client director for a portfolio of um, clients and so on. Um, Landor has offices all around the world. Um, We're organized into regions. So we've got the Americas region, which includes North America and Mexico City, EMEA. Um, uh, Southeast Asia and Japan, and then greater China. Hmm. So there are many lovely and wonderful things about working at Landor, one of which is I know people in Sydney and Singapore and Shanghai and Paris and Germany and Sao Paulo and Mexico City. So there's not a lot of people that get to say they have friends in all those places. I've also mm-hmm. been to most of those places. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's really been a privilege. Yeah. Um, it's interesting that I looked at your background and uh, as a brand manager, brand identity design uh, I would normally see P&G on a resume. I didn't see P&G on there. Well, they're a client. 
Yes. So have worked with PNG. Uh, I even worked with them prior to joining Landor. But you're right. I've never worked inside mm-hmm. PNG. Okay. Um, I did go client side at one point early in my career. My first mm-hmm. job was as a copywriter at a small ad agency. Okay. Um, and a client contact person and. Um, I was there for three years, and actually a client of mine, who was Kendall Fichuro at the time, which has since been acquired by Beiersdorf, um, offered me a job to lead all of their marketing services across the many brands. Mm-hmm. So I went client-side for five years, knowing I always wanted to be on the agency side because yeah. I enjoy those people, that energy, the diversity you know, of work that you get to work on. But I also knew it would really help me have greater empathy for my clients if I had mm-hmm. a client-side experience. Mm-hmm. So. Great. Tell me uh, about childhood. Where did you grow up? Uh, Parents, uh, siblings? I have a few of those. Uh, I did grow (laughs) up in northern Kentucky, Edgewood specifically. I am the oldest daughter of 10 children. 10 children. Yes. Five boys, five girls. No twins. People often ask that. Although my brother and I, my oldest brother and I are what's considered Irish twins. So there's two weeks out of the year that we're the same age. (laughs) He loves to call me every year on my birthday and say, hi, you're as old as me. But it only lasts two weeks. Um, And yeah, my parents, blessed that they're both still around. Uh, Spend a lot of time with them. Very family oriented, obviously. I'll see Mm -hmm. them Saturday at the farm to celebrate mm-hmm. my sister's birthday. So yeah. grew up on a farm, grew up working. We had working farms a little further south in Walton, Kentucky. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, had that whole farm experience. I raised horses. In fact, I thought I was going to be a veterinarian. I My first three and a half years at university, I was a pre-veterinary science major. Hmm. So, um, but What made it, you decide not to do it? It's I wanted to be a large animal vet. Okay. I loved horses, yeah. cows. Um, and, you know, I really started to realize when you're a large animal vet, you're largely by yourself traveling to farms uh, mm-hmm. and stalls. And maybe it's being part of a large family. I enjoy being around people and a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And it just felt um, that I needed something more collaborative. Mm-hmm. So I'd always enjoyed riding as well. Mm-hmm. I always joked I liked riding horses and I like riding, uh, riding and riding. But um, so I thought, you know what, I'll change my major to journalism, I'll hone my writing skills, and mm-hmm. um, and then thought, gee, it'd be fun to be in a creative business. Like, I never wanted to write news, you know, right. or, or anything. Um, and yeah. That would have been one of my second picks as a career as journalism, because really? I've always liked to write. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, you know, if you can write, usually you can communicate well. And mm-hmm. I mean, you know, so yeah. much of... Business, b- business do. is human relations, right, mm-hmm. and rapport and so the ability to, to communicate right. and not yeah. just talk, but to listen and to understand serves yeah. you well in almost anything mm-hmm. you do. Yeah. So the 10 children, where are you in the order? Second oldest. I'm the Second oldest daughter. Oldest, oldest daughter. Yeah. Right. And we're going to get to that. <laughs> um, and you have four children, 17, two or 15, and mm-hmm. you have a five-year-old. I do. I yeah. always say I'm way too old to have a five-year-old, but I do. <laughs> and I love it. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I remember five. My kids are now uh, in their 30s, almost 30. Oh, wow. So. Yeah. My oldest is... Uh, going into his senior year, and then my youngest is going into kindergarten. So I have a constant lump in my throat just thinking about oh, yeah. him leaving for college next year. It's going to be a tough transition. I am so blessed and lucky. I've said every year of my life is better than the one before. Mm. Um, but I worry when the kids start leaving 
you know, that's, I feel like my toughest transition is ahead of me. Yeah, it so. it, it is a tough transition. Mm-hmm. It changes the dynamics of your house. Yeah. And it never is the same, yeah. even when they come back from college. Mm-hmm. Where's he going to school? He doesn't know yet. Doesn't know. He's still okay. thinking, doesn't know what he wants to study, doesn't apply himself. Elliot, if you're listening to this uh, well enough in school. <laughs> so he may Message not have a, a very wide array of choices, you know. Yeah. So we'll see. Yeah. And you're not married. No, I was divorced in 2007. Okay. Um, As a girl um, growing up, uh, you learned how to drive farm equipment. I did. We all worked on the farm, Um, you know, whether it was, uh, you know, dealing with cattle, um, baling hay, hoeing corn, harvesting corn. Mm -hmm. Um, And I became, um, and we did all that physical, you know, work. But there came a point in time that even my brothers that were younger than me were clearly stronger and more capable mm-hmm. of that. So my dad decided I would be the equipment operator. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So you yes. said uh, you know how to drive a tractor and that you spent a lot of time looking backward. And I was wondering if there's any symbolism there. <laughs> <laughs> it is funny because if you are driving equipment, whether it's a hay rake or a baler or a trailer or anything else, you do. You've got to go forward by but you have to look you backward to, look to make backward. sure that the hay's, you know, getting processed properly and yeah. everything else. So I don't know, other than a sore neck, if there's much of a lesson in that, but uh, <laughs> it's kind of like one eye in front of you and one eye behind. <laughs> Not spending too much time looking in the past though. Yes. No, yeah. no. Um, you were the oldest girl, as you mentioned, in your mm-hmm. family, and your father had a commercial construction business mm-hmm. and expected you to work on the construction sites. He uh, sounds like yeah. you and your brothers uh, were expected to help him at the construction sites, and you were often the only female. Tell yes. me, tell me about that experience. Yeah, I mean, my dad he has an extremely strong work ethic and certainly wanted to develop that in us. And at fifteen, he thought, "Well, it's time for you to get a job." Um, but you know, in Kentucky at the time, you can't get a work permit until you were sixteen. Yeah. Um, and so he said, "Well, I have a solve for that. You can just work on one of the jobs." You know, um, and you know. Obviously, I was the only girl. This was how many years years ago? Seventies, late seventies. Yeah. You know, there just aren't uh, weren't that many women in construction. If they were, you saw them sometimes as flaggers on the road, right? Yeah, right. Um, and all the guys were were nice, and you know everything else. But it was you know it's extremely uncomfortable for a teenage girl, especially to be the only girl among all those men. Right. So you were the boss's daughter, so they couldn't really like, exactly flirt with you or catcall right. or whatever. <laughs> right. Yes. No, they were very well behaved, but yeah. it's just the discomfort associated with being the yeah. only one. Right. right. And they probably had their own little, you know, male oh, their bonding. own language. Yeah. And yes, gossip hounds, you know, every single one of them, you know, and <laughs> stories and inside jokes. Um, yeah. Yeah. And they knew how to have fun on a construction yeah. site. I can tell you that. And it's true. I think women get the um, uh, get the accusation that we gossip more than men. But you it's and I talked true. about that. Yeah, it's, it's not it's true. So not men true. do gossip. Yes, they do. <laughs> they do. Um, but when you were on the construction site, I thought this was interesting. You saw another person uh, driving to the site, a fellow named Ted, mm-hmm. and you wanted to have that position. You decided that's what you wanted to do. If you were going to work on construction, yeah. in construction, that that's the job you wanted. Yeah, and mostly because I got to see that Ted just showed up at the job, either unloaded the truck or people unloaded the truck for him, and then he drove happily away. And so I thought, well, if I learn how to do that, you know, I can 
get, you know what I mean, off yeah. of this construction site. Right. So, Your dad was okay with that? Like, yeah. Like, well, that's I, what you want to do? Yeah. Once I turned 16, yep. Got my license. Back then, you didn't have to have your commercial driver's license. Mm -hmm. I I since have gotten that. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so I drove trucks and delivered equipment to job sites and uh, found that much, much easier. And I continued to do that for summers, uh, sometimes during college, because I could earn money doing it. Yes, right. So, Yeah, so you grew up in a a large family, hardworking, and we talked about the work ethic, and and my parents were like that too. Both my parents grew up on farms. Their Mm -hmm. parents grew up on farms. And that was really the way of the 30s and 50s, you know? Yeah. Um, And uh, that work ethic uh, was almost like, you know, so strong in my family that it was their their parents came from Depression-era parents that if you didn't work hard, uh, you you wouldn't eat. You (laughs) Mm -hmm. would not survive. Mm -hmm. And so I've carried that with me. And it's been a blessing and sometimes a curse to to work that hard. Yeah. And you want to talk about that? Yeah, I, I guess it is maybe a blessing and a curse. I, you know, I certainly remember lamenting growing up. You know, my friends were going to Kings Island and, you know, fun places on a Saturday. And uh, my dad was like, well, you, you're going to be bailing hay, you know, mm-hmm. at the farm. Or I remember... Uh, girlfriends having sleepovers, you know, can I please, please, you know, go to Deanne's for a sleepover? Robin, everybody's going to be there. And he's like, sure you can. I'm going to pick you up at 630 in the morning to go to the farm, but you can go, you know. And so did that, you know, quite a bit. Um, So, but I realize it's it's really a gift because Mm -hmm. um, I think I even said this to you. I I say to my kids all the time, there are always going to be people smarter than you in the world. There's a lot of people smarter than me. There's always going to be people more talented a lot of people more talented than me. But if you're willing to work hard, you can run circles around people that are smarter than you and more talented than you. You just yeah. simply, it's a decision. It's just a choice. I will just mm-hmm. work harder. Right. Um, and actually, I think working hard also helps you develop talents that aren't very well developed. You know what I mean? You mm-hmm. can, you know what I mean? You overcome can, things that you maybe overcome. you're not that good at, yes. but you, you can become good at them. Exactly. And I think you make a very good point that you know, there have always been people around me that are smarter, mm-hmm. always people more talented. And I was intimidated by that. Yeah. And yet nobody really outworked me. Yeah. You know, I yeah. would always work hard to kind of make up for the fact mm-hmm. that maybe I wasn't as smart as the guy next to me or talented as that person. I would exactly. work harder. Yeah. And, and that's there's great some... advice for kids. Well, it is. And there's, I think, and, and I worry I'm not passing it along enough to my own kids, but I think there's so many people that are afraid of work. You know what I mean? That, mm-hmm. that that just the thought of it becomes more intimidating. And we also talked about this. If you're lucky enough to do something you love and somebody pays you for it, that's there, there's not a lot of mm-hmm. people in the world, you know what I mean, that can say yeah. that. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think you're a baby boomer, aren't you? You, you know, I'm always at the cusp. The cusp. Yeah. yeah, I was born in 1964. So okay. some most put me a baby boomer, some Gen X, but I'm yeah. right there. Yeah. And um, baby boomers, you know, a lot of times we come from that, you're going to work and you retire in your 60s mm-hmm. or 70s, you mm-hmm. know. And my daughter and her husband work really hard to save money and they want to stop working in their 40s. And I'm like, what are you going to do? Right. And like, well, we'll just be with the kids. And like, but but what are you going to do? You know, yeah. and uh, 
And I said, if you go to school functions, what are you going to tell them you do? You know what I mean? I yeah. just I couldn't yeah, wrap my couldn't, head around right. it because, you know, I, I mean, I came from work. You work and you retire. And yes. So different uh, millennial mindset. It is. Yeah. It definitely is. Yeah. Although I like the idea. I've often said that things are backwards. You know, you typically most people have kids mm-hmm. when they're working up in their career or at the height of their careers. And so then it's the constant strain of kind of having to choose, you know, where do right. I spend, you know, most of my time. Mm-hmm. And I always say, and then, you know, by the time you retire, your kids are gone. Well, then what the heck are you going to do? You right. know what I mean? Because their right. energy isn't there. So yeah. I like the the notion of, you know, a break in between to really have that time, yeah. you know, with your kids. Yeah. Um, obviously, I couldn't do it and can't imagine doing it, but it'd be nice. Yeah. Well, you'll have grandkids maybe someday right. like I do. That's and, right. Uh, that's a beautiful thing. You, they start screaming, you can walk away, yeah. you know? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, you know, we were talking about uh, this and advertising and brand and so forth. Twenty years ago, I would pick up a women's magazine, whether it was you know, if Oprah was around at the time, but Cosmopolitan and all the women in the magazine ads were beautiful, mm-hmm. thin, many times blonde, mm-hmm. white, yeah, um, and no women of color, um, no women who were plus size, no yep. gay couples. And that's all changed uh, in ads in uh, magazines. And um, a couple of quotes I have from you from Adweek, I believe, and some other publications where you said, quote, as Americans, we are getting heavier over time, Zala said. It's not just inclusive. It's also reflective of where we are as a country. I think that any brand that ultimately seeks to be relevant to consumer needs to reflect on the dynamic of the population. Yeah, I mean, we're getting heavier and older. They're not necessarily great things. Mm-hmm. I mean, older is is, is not a problem. Um, but yes, and I think increasingly, you mentioned millennials before, we know from research that younger generations, um, especially millennials, um, Gen Yers, make decisions or they reflect their values in the brands and businesses that they support. That mm-hmm. wasn't necessarily true for our generation, right? Mm-hmm. We had values and we played those out in church or, you know, in daily interactions. And I'm not saying those generations don't do that, mm-hmm. but they definitely um, look at the brands uh, they choose to buy, the businesses they choose to support as reflective, you know, of their values. And obviously an emerging value, again, in the in the country across all generations is this notion of inclusivity. Um, and I think sometimes, you know, you think of inclusivity um, in terms of gender and, and, and race and culture, and those are hugely important. Mm-hmm. But increasingly, I think we are seeing this size inclusivity, you know, because not everybody is a perfect size four, you know, right. anymore. Mm-hmm. And people don't stay 25 forever either. There yes. are women out there in the world that are 50 and 60 and 70 and, you know, 80 years old, and they just were completely not reflected anywhere, you know, in the culture uh, or the popular culture. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think there is still a problem with that. You Mm -hmm. know, there's not leading leading ladies fizzle out, you know, quicker than than leading Mm -hmm. men. And we still see that, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. Um, And yet there's there's beautiful women. I'm one of my dearest friends is 103 years old. I wish I had a picture of her. I do on my phone that I could show you. She's absolutely stunningly gorgeous. She truly is. Wow. Um, And so, you know, I think that part that the age, I think, still 
is there somewhat. It is, you know? yeah. Yeah, and you do see older people in ads, but often it's for retirement. Retirement, or... life insurance. Yeah. yeah, life insurance. Yes, yeah. things but, like that. But now you pick up an Oprah magazine, and I often get – I get a lot of magazines in the mail for clothing and things, and I look at that. I, I mm-hmm. notice, you know, the diversity, and um, I don't know if I think I make this conscious decision. If I see a magazine where there isn't a lot of diversity, I might not even buy from them yeah. because it bothers me. Yeah, you know? and I've, I, I'm sorry that I can't think of the brand right now. Um, but even, you know, so much is online, especially in these days of COVID, right? Mm-hmm. Not, not, yes. And, well, stores were absolutely closed for quite a while, so you have to buy online. And you'd see, a, again, usually a five-foot-six, five foot seven, you know, woman that probably weighed about 115 pounds and was a size four model to dress. It's yeah. like, well, how do I know that's going to look good on me? But there are, are brands now increasingly that are showing the dress mm-hmm. on multiple size bodies. Right. You know, I which is really that. nice. So mm-hmm. uh, it gives you a much, you know, better view. So it's inclusive, but it's also very practical. Oh, okay. That won't look as good on me or that looks good on a taller woman mm-hmm. or that would look better on, you know. So right. you're seeing it. Yeah, growing up with looking at these magazines, it's always, you know, and poor young women, you know, it's Mm -hmm. like, you know, the ideal out there didn't look, I didn't look like the ideal. Right. My friends didn't look like the ideal. but Totally. uh, So we always felt like, well, that's what we aspire to be, thin and blonde and, you know. That's what we have to be. That's the ideal of beauty. I wonder, and there's probably statistics on it, I hope it's going down, uh, but I wonder if that, this more inclusive, more reflective, right, of what Mm -hmm. real people you know what I mean, look like and what real beauty is would also um, uh, manifest itself in lower rates of eating disorders, you know, yes. among young women and so on. You would hope, you know, Indeed. that that would do that. I, I would so, like to think so. Yeah. And I think you said Dove came out with some of the first commercials sure. to have plus-size women, mm-hmm. you know, that were, they were scantily clad. I think yeah. they had bra and underwear yeah. on and mm-hmm. and they were like, oh, wait a minute, she's she's pretty heavy, you yeah. know. Yeah. And uh it's like, wow, finally, mm-hmm. you know, you got real women on yeah, there. Yeah, exactly. So um, one of the things you said is conscious declarations uh, that, according to Zala, consumers are now viewing their purchasing trends as conscious declarations of their beliefs and values. Yeah. That's that millennial thing. It totally it? is. Yeah. yeah. They what they buy, um, you know, sometimes is a badge of honor. I support this brand because they're committed to cleaning up ocean plastics. I mean, whatever, mm-hmm. you know, their particular value is, but they absolutely make decisions that way. And it's why you're seeing more and more brands um come out with brand purpose as a central defining mm-hmm. idea and then creating marketing platforms, you know, off of those. And mm-hmm. where they're authentic and they live up to it, it it works for them, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when it's not, consumers quickly kind of figure that out. But you're mm-hmm. seeing more and more businesses um, you know, do that mm-hmm. successfully. Mm-hmm. Great. You were talking about being a leader and as a leader that you don't really believe in managing people, but inspiring people, inspiring people, mm-hmm. that that's important to you. Talk about that. Yeah. Well, I mean, Landor, we're a creative business. Um, it's also a very strategic and, and um, you know, analysis-driven business. And it's one of the things I love about it. It really is both that right brain, left brain. I talk about we get to bring our whole brains and our whole selves yeah. to the work that we do. Um, and that's wonderful. And I do believe that I know. Uh, every human being, if you're a human, you are creative. You have mm-hmm. a creative capacity. And I think so many people think of creativity as a particular skill, 
I can mm-hmm. paint, I can draw, I can play the piano. Um, and those are creative, you know, pursuits. But creativity is a mindset, you know, not really a skill set, although mm-hmm. it can manifest itself in certainly a, a well-developed skill. Um, and creative capacities can be enlarged and enriched, uh, I think, even on a daily basis. And so I think um, it's hard to manage the creative process. Yeah. You can certainly put guardrails up, and you have to. I mean, I'm trying to remember who who said it. There's a Chinese proverb, every kite needs the string, which is based on, you know, the heart of creativity is the welcoming of constraint, right? So you do need to know what are, what's the sandbox, what are the objectives, and so on, because just to say create something is, is stifling. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's the the human capacity for creativity to me, you know, can be stifled if you're in an environment that doesn't encourage creativity, mm-hmm. that stigmatizes failure, um, you know. But if you're in an environment that actually um, applauds and allows time for lateral thinking and generative thinking and the development of somebody's um, creative capacity, um, you can help build that, you know, in others. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Yeah, in our business, we're in the financial services business, so we finance commercial real estate. Mm-hmm. And people don't often like creativity and finance. No, those, they those don't. people end up going to jail often. So. <laughs> <laughs> you got to be careful. Yeah, I've noticed that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but but in our area, what we what I tell the analysts and what I tell the guys in the office is, you know, it's really critical thinking. Totally. And critical thinking involves creativity. Totally. It involves resourcefulness. Mm-hmm. How do I do the? How do I get to my goal? Uh, which isn't completely obvious to me, mm-hmm. you know, and how do I, and that's where the creativity comes into our world. Totally. There's yeah. two definitions of creativity that I love, but by two people that I really admire. One is Sir Ken Robinson. I don't know if you're familiar with him. Mm-hmm. He's done TED Talks. He's absolutely yes. amazing. Among other, he's very into Western education. He was actually the education secretary, I believe, under Margaret Thatcher in the UK. Uh, I encourage anybody to look at his TED Talk. But his uh, definition of creativity is original ideas that have value. And I love that because in our business, in the design business, it is not just about creativity. It's the application of creativity to build a business for a brand, right? Mm-hmm. And so that anybody can have an original idea. doesn't mean they're all valuable. We're in a commercial marketplace. It has to right. drive value for our clients. Yes. And then Frank Barron is a psychologist. He's now deceased, but he did a lot of study on the psychology of creativity and the human brain and creativity in the 50s. Just fascinating. And some of just the textbook design is just so cool from a graphic standpoint in the 50s and 60s. But he talks about creativity as the capacity to bring together knowledge and imagination. Mm -hmm. And I love that because it's built on what do we know, you know, what's true. And now can you imagine something on top of that or something different? Um, and again, it's that left brain, right brain. You yes. know what I mean? Right. Which I think as human beings, those two parts of ourselves are meant to work together. And mm-hmm. and so often, you know, people think, oh, no, you're either in a creative business or you're in a this right. kind of business. Right. And it's, it's too, that's too black and white to be exactly. the truth. I loved the series uh, Mad Men. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and Don Draper. And a lot of people just put him on a pedestal, but he would walk in a room and he had that creativity. Yeah. And not everybody had it. You know? Yeah. Well, yeah. And he had the ability to command a room, you know, yes. which is really important because in creativity, you know, one of the things that's hugely important is influence because you can come up with a hugely creative idea. Um, and I think a lot of people make the mistake that thinks, oh, this is so creative. The clients are absolutely going to love it. In my experience, the more novel an idea is, the more people tend to run away from it Interesting. because it activates the fear response, mm-hmm. right? The amygdala. Whoa, I am. it is true. Comfort in the familiar 
is a human thing. We are comfortable with what we've seen before, mm-hmm. what we know. Our brains then don't have to process it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so though the more novel and creative an idea, the more you need to lay the pathway to influence and persuade to get that actually right. adopted. Right. So, um, you know, th- I think it's Steve Denning. He wrote, he's written a lot of books on storytelling and so on. Um, but he he one of the quotes in there is decision makers display a strong bias toward the status quo. And he's absolutely right. They yeah. do. Yeah. You see it in Mad Men, you yeah. know, where Don or somebody comes in with this idea. They're going to love this. Yeah. And then they come in and it's a big flop. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And so I have a whole in fact, it can um, creativity festival. I can't remember what year. Um, been there quite a few times, um, but did a whole talk on selling creativity. And the whole thing was about, you know, you first need to establish a rapport. You need to understand your audience. You need, you know, there's so many things. Mm-hmm. You need to tell a story behind the work. And storytelling is a huge part of what we do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think everybody thinks, oh, facts persuade. If And these are business people I'm selling to my clients if I just give them the facts. Right. If you give somebody the facts that you know they already disagree with you, that it just entrenches them, you know what I mean, in their yeah. – um, position, but if you can unite a fact with an emotionally resonant mm-hmm. story, you know what I mean. They can mm-hmm. be pulled in, mm-hmm. and so we really try to encourage our people to mm-hmm. do that because we're not just about pushing things out. We need to pull them into the thinking, you know, mm-hmm. the idea, right. um, you know, and everything mm-hmm. else. So, what is the best time of day, weekend, whatever? You know, what is the perfect environment for you to tap into creativity? I don't think it's a day, you know what I mean, or a yeah. time or a place. I also, and I do think I talked about developing creative capacities. Mm -hmm. Um, I also think, uh, you know, the things about uh, uh, exposing yourself to different situations and stimulus, you know, can often get Mm -hmm. different, you know, pathways fired. Our brains, Greg Burns um, is a neuroscientist. He wrote a great book that I love, Iconoclast, a neuroscientist reveals how to think differently. Mm. Just one of my favorite books that I've ever read. But he literally studies the minds, you know, of, of highly creative people. But he talks a lot about habitual thinking as an enemy of creativity, right? Because if I can just look at something and, oh, I've seen that a million times, I don't even need to process what that is, um, you know, that that then, you know, does not necessarily open up, you know, an ability to be creative. I also think challenging yourself. So when I, when my oldest was six years old, um, he begged me for his birthday upcoming for a dirt bike for his birthday. And I've, no, of course not. What, what responsible mother would give a six-year-old a dirt bike? You'll kill yourself on that thing. You know, like the Red Rider shotgun, you'll shoot your eye out. There's no way I'm buying you that. Um, But of course, over months, you know, completely wore me down. And finally, I said, fine, you know, I'll get you a dirt bike and then lost sleep thinking, what the heck have I done? Yeah. And so I thought, well, you know what? If I learn how to ride a motorcycle, then I can teach him how to be safe on it. The problem was I grew up on horses. I had never operated a two-wheel vehicle, probably one of the only things I never operated, (laughs) never even been on the back of one. Yeah. So I thought, well, I have to go to motorcycle school. And I did. So there was a written portion and then a two-day on a motorcycle you know, in a blacktop parking lot. Oh my gosh. With all men. They were all 12 or 15 of them, all experienced riders that were doing this to get a break on their insurance. <laughs> and I was knock kneed. I was so nervous. Just I, getting on that bike for the first time, having to run the skills course. I passed, but barely. I was terrible. I was the worst one there. I barely passed. 
Um, and I could not wait to get that class behind me. And I'm like, I never, you know, want to see a bike again. Now it ended up becoming a, a bit of a passion and a hobby of mine. But the point here was you get to a point in your career. And I realized I was at that point where I walked into almost every situation, even if I knew it was going to be difficult, either a tough client or somebody that was upset with us or, you know, an adversarial situation or an uphill battle to try to sell something, even if you knew it'd be challenging you get to a point in your career, you walk into all that, and you're like, I, I got this. Yeah. I'll do it. I'll get right. through it. It's it, it's going to work out. When I did the motorcycle thing, I so did not have that. I mean, I was <laughs> awful. And I realized you haven't been in a position, put yourself in a situation in a long time that you were awful at something, you know what I mean? And trying something so new and novel. But looking back, that opened up just this huge period of creativity mm. for me. And I ended up inventing new presentations and new ways to look at things. And so I do think some of that creativity is just, even if it's not a creative pursuit, just you know, making yourself do something that you're uncomfortable with and mm -hmm. unfamiliar with, it just fires things mm -hmm. in your brain. And your brain is automatically not in that habit mode and you become more generative, more innovative as a result. That is that is an interesting observation. And I have experienced that with the podcast. You know, I've been in commercial mortgage finance for 40 years. Yeah. So you got Not, this. Yeah, I got this. Yeah. I go into a meeting. Mm -hmm. I don't really need to prepare. I still prepare. But this you know, situation mm -hmm. I'd not done. Now, right. I, I can communicate. I, I feel like I have a knack for this, mm -hmm. but I came into this not knowing what to do. I didn't know a whole lot about podcasting. I had to talk yeah. to people, research it. And I do think you're right, yeah. that it generates something mm -hmm. that puts, you know, puts something on fire that wasn't there before. Yeah. yeah. And I think you forget to do that. The more experienced you get, you, you know what I mean? Yeah, um, it's great and advice. Then, but as a leader, then it's important to understand you need to offer those opportunities to the people on your team, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. It doesn't mean making people uncomfortable all the time. Right. But it does mean challenging them in a way that you owe them, right, for their development. Sure. Right? Yeah. Yeah, I like that. Um, you had... Uh, the top position with your company at Landor, chief executive officer and president, and you made a decision to step down from that position. Um, mm -hmm. Tell me about that, what went into the decision, and you know what you decided to do. I know. I, I often think, should I write the... Um the opposite of Sheryl Sandberg's book, Lean In, you know, step down. <laughs> like, get the hell out of here. Yeah, or, I know. You know. I don't know if anybody step would buy down. it. <laughs> I'd buy it. I don't know if anybody would buy it. I did. Um, yeah. Again, a absolute privilege to lead a company I love so much, and mm -hmm. I do love Landor, yeah. and to be in a global leadership position. And, um, you know, it was in that position that I did get to literally travel the world and meet mm -hmm. so many people that today I are still colleagues and many are friends. Um, but at the same time, I had three young children yeah. um, and was traveling so much, you know, sometimes 50, 60 percent of the time, mm. you know, I was just gone. And then when I wasn't gone, I was consumed. You know, a global CEO is a big job, a huge administrative responsibility, yeah. a huge reporting responsibility. Right. Um, Landor is held by WPP, a publicly traded company. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I would find myself, you know, getting off a plane, walking into a hotel room at night and literally be in tears just because I missed my kids. Yeah. You know, I missed home. I get I, it. I didn't feel, uh, that I, I couldn't be, I'm sure may, many women could, I could not be the mom I wanted to be and be gone that much. Mm -hmm. Plus I also didn't enjoy large aspects of that role. 
Um, I was further away from people. I was further away from the creative process. Yep. I was reporting on our business rather than necessarily Doing generating it. it. Mm -hmm. um, and I just found I didn't enjoy that. And that was hard for me because literally from when I started my professional career, I loved every job and every role I had more than the one before mm. until then. Until then. And I didn't. And I just thought, oh, my gosh, I've, I'm, I've never been unhappy in my career. Mm. What is this? This oh my gosh, there's probably so many people that feel like this, you know, that yeah. aren't loving what they're doing. And right. Um, and so, yeah, I made the decision to to You're honest down. with yourself. You said, I'm not happy. I need to, mm -hmm. need to step down. How long were you in that role? Uh, president and CEO, three years. Three years. Yeah. Okay. So you yeah. were in there three years. Yes. Yeah. That's yeah. a long time to be in a position that you're not crazy about. Yeah. And it wasn't playing to necessarily your strengths and right. what you love to do, which right. is the creativity. Yes. You know, and um, so I, I can relate to that. I sold my company in 2014 and I was managing people over the servicing area. I wasn't working as much on client relationships mm -hmm. and doing deals. Yeah. And I thought, I want to take all this and take my chips off the table, you know, sell it to someone else and do the stuff I love. Good for you. And, you know, I felt a little bit, I don't know if you felt like this, not selling out so much, but I felt like, oh, I've let people down, you know, because yeah. I'm no longer the president of my company. I've It's somebody else's and I'm an employee now. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know if I as much, I totally understand that feeling. And maybe I didn't feel it because I felt like our next CEO and the one we have now are both way better than me in the role. <laughs> truly. I truly do. Um, and when I did step down, I thought I would have to leave Landor. You know, oh, like, come on, you tell yeah. people you don't want to be the CEO anymore. You better get your resume together. Um, but Lois, who succeeded me and was the second female CEO, and now I'm proud to say we're on our third consecutive female CEO, Jane Garrity, Fantastic. who's just an incredible talent um, in our London office and is just doing amazing things for our business. Um, but uh, Lois asked me to stay on, you know, and have since had this role of global president mm -hmm. of the consumer brand and then leading our office in Cincinnati. Yeah. So, uh, but they're both way better mm -hmm. at it than I am. And um, I love supporting them. You know yeah. what I mean? In, sure, in I do. Role. Yeah. So, I mean, you said, I'm ready to step down. You had that conversation. You'd made the decision. And they said, well, you don't need to leave. You just, yeah. you know, here's what we're going to do for yeah. you. Right. Yeah, exactly. And so yeah. feel so lucky because, you know, I get to stay at the company I love doing a role, you know, that I love and gives me much more balance. So mm -hmm. obviously nobody's traveling anywhere now. I no. was in New York in December a couple of times and that's the, no, I, then I was in London in February. Mm -hmm. I think that was the last place I yeah. traveled to. But when I am traveling, it's 20% or less, which is right. so doable. You yeah, know? it's 2020 right now and we're in the middle of a pandemic and yeah. we are not traveling. We're not traveling. You have about 65 people at Landor here in Cincinnati. Yeah, about right? 75. We, 75. We have a lot of okay. permalancers. You know, we call okay. them so staff and permalancers. Yeah, yes. and everyone's working from home until, yep. you know, sometime in September. And Yeah, we're currently plan making plans for a reentry around okay. mid-September. That mm -hmm. may or may not end up happening, but we're planning for it right now. Okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, it's a different world. Different uh, world interesting how we did all we were able to work from home for so long and, mm -hmm. and it works it does work but you lose 
I think you lose productivity, you lose a culture mm-hmm. feel. Yeah, it is. We we spend a lot of time talking about that. How do we keep our culture, yeah. you know, alive? We have a happy hour every Thursday. Yeah. You know, uh, at four o'clock, and everybody um, gets on know, Zoom or Microsoft on, Teams yep, or something. Gets on Teams. Yeah. You know, we have drinks. Usually, there's often a signature cocktail and either play trivia or do something <laughs> and try to keep it together. Yeah. But it is harder. You know what yeah. I mean? It's easier sure. when you are physically together. Yes. Um, and I think especially in a creative business, we just feed off each other. You know what I yes, mean? Yes, I um, know what you mean there. Just so much. And we, of course, we, we've we perfected, you know, doing it online and, right. and having all these virtual sessions. But um, it's you're, we're all uh, putting that same energy out there. It's hard to get it back through a screen, though. Yes. And so in our experience, we're all working harder, longer, yes. you know, I mm-hmm. feel like. And, you know, as a leader, when you see your people doing that, it's almost gut-wrenching because it's like, oh, my gosh, you know, how long can people, right. you know, kind of keep this up? It's it's different when at least you've got that energy flow back mm-hmm. to you. And yeah. so we're definitely challenging ourselves. My leadership team is how do we put gas back in the tank, so to speak? You know, yeah. what can we do? Um, you know, to to help because yeah, no, we've do- we've talked about that too. We've got single people in our office that yeah. you know they don't have spouses, they don't yeah. have other people in their homes, mm-hmm. and it's like it's pretty isolating. Yes, you know, it and definitely we can be. Stay in touch with them. Make sure mm-hmm. you call them. You know, for sure, for sure. Um, you have four children, and mm-hmm. you have a five year old young girl, mm-hmm. and uh, just wondering what went into the decision to have another child. Oh, well, I mean, I did mention I'm one of 10, so four yes. seems like a small family to me, and <laughs> six is my favorite number. I always wanted six, but, yeah. you know, I, I do need to stop. But, yeah, it was actually while I was in the CEO role, I really wanted to adopt another child. My okay. three oldest happened to be adopted um, all internationally, mm-hmm. and um, I pursued that, you know, with two different agencies, you know, over a period of a couple of years. And it just wasn't working. It was not, you know, panning out. Um, And once I stepped down from the CEO role and Lois and I had our fourth quarter transition in, I think it was 12 or 13, you know, I can't Mm -hmm. remember. I told you I would look up the dates and I forgot. I apologize. (laughs) Okay. Um, But I um, started working with a private adoption attorney in Florida in January. And in July of that same year, I was matched with Cecilia as my youngest birth mother. Mm. And I do. I mean, all my children are a blessing. They absolutely are. All children are a blessing and Mm -hmm. all children are a miracle, you know, no matter how, you know, you come to be a family. But I do truly feel like that was God's way of saying you made room in your life and this is a gift, you know, and um, I had no room in my life before. I didn't have room for the kids I had, you know? Yeah. Um, and so I've always felt like, okay, you you made the right decision, you yeah. know? And she is just, you know, a little spitfire she's and such cute. a joy. Yeah. Oh, she's adorable. Yeah. yeah. And how old was she when she, you adopted her? I She was an infant. I was there an when infant. she was born. Okay. Yeah, it was really just a, a incredible experience. Yeah. yeah. What do you think the best thing about you as a mother is? And then what's your best mothering attribute? Oh, my goodness. I don't know. Mothers, we tend to beat ourselves up, don't yes, we? A little we bit. Do. Mothers are <laughs> mothers are pretty, pretty hard. Hard you know on ourselves. I mean? We on beat ourselves, ourselves up, for yeah. sure. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I think, I mean, I adore my kids. I have so much fun with them. Um, I'm friendly with them, but I am their mother. Yes. You know, and so I think being, mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. Um, so I often say, you know, any any command I give them, I follow it with the word dear. Number one, it's sweet. Number two, it reminds me I'm not your friend. I am your mother. Right. You know, I just said dear. Right. 
Um, so, but I think you owe your kids, and I, I feel like I see this increasingly, you know, in maybe younger generations. Um, I think there's two things you really have to do for kids. You have to, of course, protect them. You know what yes. I mean? And that mm-hmm. the protection they need when they're an infant is different than when they're a child. And, right. and teenagers need protection, too. Yes. They, they just don't want it as much. Um, and I think most parents are really good at that. And I think mothers tend to over-index, you know, on mm-hmm. that a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but the second most important thing a parent needs to do for a kid is prepare them for their future. And I yeah. think if you're only focused on the protection um, you're not always going to be around with them out there in the world. Yes, so you've got true. a real obligation to set them up for success in their future and really mm-hmm. do the opposite of the instinct that a mother has, which is teach them to live without you because no mother really yes. wants their children to leave, right? No, they don't. Uh, they don't. And, Still don't. And yet, yeah, I know. And yet it's your job to prepare them. Mm-hmm. And so I think, um, you know, there's times you want to just be, or I would just want to be lazy and just protect. And it's like, yeah. They need, they need to push be prepared. them out of the nest. Yeah, you know? exactly. Yeah. Yeah. As hard as it is. It's working against instinct, which is hard. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, what advice would you give to a young woman that's just graduating college, uh, wants to make her mark and move up the career ladder today? What uh, What's some advice you would give her? Uh, she enters the work world. Yeah. I, oh gosh, there would be so much. I mean, number one, try to find something you love. And yet I remember then, I, you don't even know what, what career can I have? What, I what job am I going to like? Just pay me. You know, exactly. Just... <laughs> exactly. And so that, that first job or two, I would also say, don't sweat it. Get in there, work hard, of course, yes. you know, earn your money, um, develop yourself, move up. But if you find you don't like it, move, you know what I mean? Get Get another yeah. job. But you almost have to have an experience or two mm-hmm. under your belt, right? Mm-hmm. Until you know, whoa, you know what I mean? This yeah. is what I really want to do. Mm-hmm. I would also say, um, I think a lot of people spend a lot of time in their lives trying to associate with or be with people that think like them, that are like mm-hmm. them, that agree with them. Um, again, I think especially if you want to be generative, innovative, novel, creative, you're best, better suited to put yourself in positions with people that think differently than you. Mm-hmm. Um, because all sorts of research shows that, um, you know, if you're in a group of people that think very differently, they're going to come at a better solution, probably a stronger mm-hmm. solution. Um, and again, they'll challenge your own, you know, creativity and, and ways of, you know, thinking. Um, of course, work hard. Yes. You'll stand out. Work hard. People that work hard out. stand out. Right. They just they do. do. Yeah. Um, and you so. You and I grew up with that. So, yeah, yeah the yeah. work ethic. Yeah. Um, and there's no substitute for it. No. You and, can be smart. You can get by being smart mm-hmm. and talented. Mm-hmm. Um, but you, to excel, I think you have to do all of those things, but especially yeah. work hard. Totally. And yeah. and, and be, be nice. Be the kind of person other people want to be around. Yes. You know, I mean, right. because then more people want to be around you and then life is grand, right? Sure. Yeah. I so. didn't take that advice at the beginning of my career, but uh, <laughs> I've learned the hard way over time to be nice to everybody. There you go. So um, what's next for you after this after working after oh what's next yeah you know that's that is it's hard to say because again i think about this all the time when um you know before you have kids you, you of course everybody goes out you have activities everything else but as a working mom it's easy for your life to get stripped down to work and kids yes. because you simply I can't go to book club once a week. I can't go out with my friends two nights a week. I can't, That's you know, right. and not just that you can't, you want to be with your right. kids, you right? You want to be with your family, exactly. right? Exactly. I wanted to maximize mm-hmm. every moment of that, you know, mm-hmm. I possibly could. 
So I'm not sure. You know, I think about I talked about the family farm, um, you know, a place as a kid that, you know, I, I just wanted to run away from, you know, sometimes. Yeah. Um, but ended up in, I guess I started it in 12, right after, during the time I was in the CEO role, I ended up building a house up there, mm-hmm. a getaway. Um, you know, we built a swimming pool and uh, we have a trampoline and a pool table and a uh, ping pong table. I think I told you, I call it mm-hmm. kid bait, right? And I want yeah. my kids with me on the weekends and I want so all their friends all to the come over. And, yeah. <laughs> and I also wanted a, a a place to access for vacation. That I didn't have to get on a plane, you know, to do it. Yeah, and just drive to this Walton, right? 30 minutes away. Yeah. It's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, just people often say, oh, are you a mountains or beach person? It's like, I guess I'm just a farm person. You know what farm I mean? Person, I think agriculture yeah. is beautiful. Mm-hmm. I love being up there, you know, with the kids. Um, yeah. And I did, you know, I do Airbnb, you know, the house. So okay. I've always, what a passion of mine has always been, oh, I'd love to own a boutique hotel. Um, and now I kind of have that. But I do think about um, building a, kind of an event barn, an event mm. space to, would I host weddings or not? Maybe, but corporate events and retreats. Mm-hmm. Um because there is something about getting away, you know, the green space, you yeah. know, to me seeing green grass and trees and a blue sky with white clouds, I just go, yeah. you yeah. know, it is yeah. just, and so it must do that for other people too. Mm-hmm. That's for um, me, childhood. Yeah. yeah. There you go. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's the link to that yeah. too, you know, and I love it when mm-hmm. we're up there on the weekends. Well, trust me, I will open the doors to my home office Friday, put the kids in the car and we will head straight there. And then, you know, love it when Cecilia wakes up Saturday morning and she's excited. Grandpa's here, you know, because the barn's, you know, right across the way. So it's such a blessing. And so I often think, you know, gosh, turning something I love that much into a business, you know, maybe a little retirement business would be fun. So yeah, that might be next. Sounds great. Sounds like it's where you restore. Yes, for sure. Yeah. Mary, thanks for joining me today. I've loved getting to know you better. And uh, this has been great. My pleasure. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Thank you for listening to this episode of Leading She. Please check out many other Leading She episodes, which are wonderful. We discuss challenges these accomplished women have overcome in their careers. Please subscribe to this podcast and rate it and review it. Follow Leading She on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And visit our website, leadingshe.com, where we have ideas and wisdom for women leaders.